talk about women from mythology and folklore all around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. And today is our very first themed episode where we'll be talking about women of the underworld. Lizzie, take it away. So, Sophie Isabel Dufour said in Contemporary Art and Classical Myth, each civilization has a notion of hell and the concept of an underworld may be as old as humanity itself. So the imagination of hell is linked to the human condition as man projects his fears and powerlessness onto it. There are vastly different conceptions of the underworld across mythologies, and today we're going to discuss a few women associated with the underworld. So the journey to the underworld is a pretty common theme across mythologies. Underworld journeys are embarked upon for special purposes. Orpheus goes to the underworld to bring back Eurydice, Gilgamesh seeks the secrets of immortality, and Odysseus seeks prophecies from the prophet Tiresias. These journeys are more often made by men, and what women do undertake an underworld journey are less often able to come out afterward. Yeah, so that leads us to our first woman, who is Persephone. Uh, And she might be the most well-known woman that we talk about today. The Orphics and Platonists believed her to be a, quote, all-pervading goddess of nature who both produces and destroys everything, unquote. Um, so to go into her story, she was, uh, in the basics, she was the daughter of the gods Demeter and Zeus and abducted by the god Hades, who is the ruler of the underworld, with permission of her father Zeus, but not permission of her mother Demeter to become queen of the underworld. And her mother Demeter was so upset to lose her daughter Uh, that she grieved very heavily. And since she is the goddess of the harvest, she grieves so much that either she, depending on the story, either she neglects the crops or she forbids them to produce. And essentially all the crops fail and the world becomes barren. Uh, Due to pressure from the other gods and humans alike, Zeus relents and Persephone is allowed to be released, but under the condition that she can't have consumed any food from the underworld. Unfortunately, at this point, she's eaten a few seeds from a pomegranate in the underworld, and therefore she must return for a few months every year. And every year, while she's away from her mother in the underworld, Demeter grieves, and it's winter, and the earth is barren. Mm -hmm. So, the story is similar to that of a Minoan cult around a quote-unquote divine child who died in order to be reborn. And I thought that was really interesting because that sounds very similar to... Do you have any idea where I might be going with this, Lizzie? No. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, so Jesus obvious, is also... <laughs> it's okay. Um, raised Catholic, looking for the religious symbolism all the time. Um, so Jesus, of course, was a divine child who was sent to Earth in order to die and be reborn and resurrected and forgive the sins of all of humanity. And I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Uh, So her name means uh, the female thresher of grain, most likely, but there's so many different spellings and pronunciation in ancient texts that it's likely, was likely hard to pronounce. 
by the Greeks, and therefore it probably had pre-Greek origins. And therefore they also think the abduction myth had pre-Greek origins, and they actually think that it originated from the Sumerian myth of Eresh Kigal, if you remember Ah. from our Inanna episode. And she was abducted by the dragon of the underworld, Kyur, and forced to become ruler of the underworld against her will. So there's that parallel of, again, women who go into the underworld have trouble coming out, and also more stories, you know, stories from Sumer uh, reflecting themselves in later mythologies. And she is euphemistically called Kor, which means maiden, or Nestes, which means the fasting one, because as with her husband, it was considered bad luck to use her name since it was associated with death. Hmm. And Interesting. Yeah, so another woman that I found when I was researching uh, that I actually thought was pretty similar to Persephone uh, was Niktikasi Waddle, who is, which means Lady of the Dead, and she was the queen of Miktlan, which is the Aztec underworld. And so she rules along, alongside Miktlan Tikotli, who is her husband and the lord of Miktlan. And so her story is that she was born and then sacrificed as an infant to become his wife. So again, there's the lack of autonomy on her end. She was just a baby and she was sacrificed to become uh, the partner of the male ruler of the underworld. Um, Some fun facts about her. She's depicted as a flayed body with the jaw open to swallow the stars in the sky Cool. Um, she can also be depicted with a skull face, a sur- skirt made of serpents and sagging breasts. And her role is to watch over the bones of the dead and also festivals that celebrate the dead, including the precursor to Dio de los Muertos, which is, of course, the modern day celebration of the Day of the Dead. Um, and her so her main job is to collect the bones of the dead alongside her husband so they can be gathered by other gods and restored to the land of the living. And so, yeah, um, I thought it was interesting that these very separate cultures had very similar stories about two women who were basically sacrificed by forces outside of themselves to become the the wives of these underworld rulers and basically to become their partners in ruling over the dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely have less autonomy than, for example, Inanna who we talked about Mm -hmm. last week, who descended to the underworld to try to take control over it and after many trials is eventually able to leave. So what separates Persephone's journey and the other women that you mentioned from Inanna's is that Inanna is able to enter and leave the underworld consciously, whereas the women you mentioned, Persephone and... Meek Tikasi Waddle. Exactly. uh, Are abducted and then bound to the underworld. Mm -hmm. So... Every mythology has a unique view of death and the underworld. In Maori mythology in New Zealand, there are 10 divisions of the underworld. The underworld is called Po, which means night, and there are also 10 divisions of heaven. And something I find very interesting is that all 10 divisions of hell are ruled by women. Mm, That is really interesting. Yes, it's quite unique, I feel like. So, four realms are ruled by Hine Nui Tepo, three are ruled by Rohe, and three are ruled by Miru. So, first of all, we have Hine Nui Tepo. So, she's the goddess of the night and receives human souls when they die. Her name means great woman of night. 
She is daughter of the god Tane and the earth-formed maiden who was immortal. She becomes the wife of Tane and bears him several children, all without knowing that that's her father. And when she finds out that her husband is actually her father, she is filled with shame and despair. And she flies down to the underworld and becomes a goddess there, trying to bring the souls of men into the darkness while Tane tries to lead them to light. So So that that seems like an interesting, almost gender-bent retelling of, or not retelling, but like, um, version of Oedipus story. Yeah, it's definitely similar to Oedipus. And I just think it's interesting that there are two different cultures that have a story of someone who marries their parent without realizing it, and then when they find out, gets filled with shame and does something extreme to repent from that. It is interesting. (laughs) So, yeah, she's filled with shame and despair. She flies to the underworld. Okay, so it's said that the sun conquers all, except Hine Nui Tepo, who cannot be conquered. So she rules four divisions of the underworld, like I mentioned. Notably, there is Terenga, which is the place of departed spirits. So when the soul of a dying person quits the mortal body, it flies northwards until it comes to a hill named Waihokimai. Then it goes onto another hill called Waiotioti, and here, turning its back forever on the world of life, it journeys on to the spirit's leap, and from here, the spirit flies down to Terenga. So, according to another source, her task in the underworld is to rescue the souls of her descendants, mankind, from the fell designs of Firo, who is the personification of, personification of evil, who ever attempts to destroy them. So, the, the popular conception of Hine Nuitupo is that she is a destroyer who ensnares mankind in the snare of death, but the higher teachings are that she is the defender of the endangered soul of man. So... The less popular conception of her is that she's actually the defender of human souls. Yeah, and that's really cool that she's like the goddess of death, but she's also protecting them from greater evils. Yeah, exactly. She's just like protecting the souls that have come down to her. Yeah. It's very nice. So mm-hmm. the second uh, Maori goddess of the underworld is Rohe. So Rohe is a wife of the demigod Maui. She is said to be as beautiful as he was ugly. So Maui nice. wanted to swap their faces. <laughs> but Rohe <laughs> refused. But Maui swapped their faces anyway by means of incantation. Yeah. So Rohe, suddenly ugly, uh, flies down to the underworld to become a goddess in anger and grief. She is said sometimes to beat the spirits of deceased mortals as they pass through her realm and endeavors to destroy the souls of mankind. Alright, so the less nice uh, goddess of death here. Yes, I would say so. But also has the right to be upset. But then it's an interesting commentary that becoming ugly makes her so angry in this way. Yeah. It's also interesting that Maui is a huge god in Polynesian uh, mythology, but he was ugly until he swapped their faces. And also... Gods are meant to be very beautiful. Yeah. I also find it very interesting when the male figures and gods are allowed to be really ugly and the 
female characters aren't really allowed to be ugly. Like, That's true. Like, you sort of see this in Icelandic sagas. There's, like, s- this one here named Ayat, who's, like, they repeat over and over again. He's, like, so ugly. He's bald, but he doesn't have a beard, and he's just so ugly. But he's, like, this big <laughs> hero guy. He's, like, one of the biggest Icelandic heroes. And there's, like, no female equivalent to that. Like, all the female, like, protagonists are, like, always the most beautiful woman on all of Iceland. And it's just, like, there's just that double standard that I think is really interesting. For sure. Which leads us Even into like Miru. Even, like, in text so old. Miru, because Because yes. Miru was said to be quite ugly and Ooh. also deformed. Mm-hmm. So Miru is the goddess of the lowest of the three underworlds. Her home is called Tatau Otapo, which means door of the night, which is at the foot mm-hmm. of Taranga, which, as we said, is the leaping off place of the spirits of the departed. So Miru is also a goddess in other places in Oceania, notably Mangaya and the Cook Islands. In Mangayan myth, she was the goddess of Avaiki, the spirit land, who tended a great oven in which all the dead were cooked and whom she and her children ate. Oh. Yes. So the only people exempt from this fate are warriors killed in battle. Those who die a natural death were said to go to night or darkness, implying that they are doomed to be cooked and eaten by Miru. And mm. those who die in battle go to day or light. According to one myth, when she receives the deceased souls, she has them eat a bowl of centipedes, intending for them to be in such agony and thirst that they will throw themselves in her lake, where they will be so distracted that they drown, after which she cooks and eats them. Wow. Well, at least they're not alive when she... Well, I mean, they're not alive anyway, but they're extra not alive when they when Yeah, they, they don't have cooked. to feel being, like, boiled and eaten. Yeah. I think Mira was super cool. I really like her. I think that's cool. I think it's a very complex plan. Um, it's interesting um, that if you don't... If you die... In, if you don't die in battle, then that happens to you. And you're going to talk about that later, I believe. Yeah. More about that later. Um... I also think it's interesting, did you say, the first goddess, did you say anything about her physical appearance? No. I do believe she was meant to be beautiful, though. Okay, yeah, so the uglier we get, the more cruel they are to the The more spirits. deep we get into the underworld, also. Yeah. Which <laughs> also makes point. sense, when, you know, like, if you think about other ideas, like, the you know, the nine circles of hell, etc. Mm-hmm. The deeper you get, the worse it is, but, you know... For sure. And it's true that the uglier the woman is, the mm-hmm. the worse she treats the souls of the dead, which mm-hmm. is quite interesting and very in line with other mythologies, for sure. Mm-hmm. So I looked at Mara, who is a Latvian goddess, and she is queen of the their underworld, Aisale, which just means afterlife. Um, she's the female counterpart to Dievs, which is the male supreme god of the Latvian Baltic pantheon. And so while Dievs took the souls of the dead people, she takes the bodies. And so she's associated with a few other goddesses or incarnations. So depending on where you look, what you read, or whose interpretation you see, she, these are either like um, separate goddesses or just all incarnations of herself. But they're all also associated with the underworld, and death. So the first one is Vel Mate, which translates to Mother of Wraiths. And she usually takes the form of an old woman, wears a white robe, and sometimes carries a scythe. 
And there's a Latvian expression that when a rainbow appears in the sky, Vel Mate is dancing amongst the graves. And she is sometimes can be considered considered to be the mother of the Veli, which are wandering souls. But then also they're sometimes considered to be just the souls of the dead in which she's not their mother. So it depends. Then there's also Kapu Mate, who is the mother of graves. And she presides over cemeteries and graves and receives the dead at cemeteries. Then there's Zemiz Mate, which is the mother of the earth, and sometimes she's called Nave, meaning death. And then Smil Shu Mate, who is the mother of sands, and she basically just has a generalized dominion over death. So um, these are all, like, basically different goddesses who have uh, domains of different aspects of death, but they are also sort of considered to be just different incarnations or forms of Mara who is the, like, the main female goddess in the Latvian uh, pantheon. And it's also debated whether she's actually a pre-Christian god or a reflection of Mary created by Christian syncretism with local beliefs, huh. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And yeah. So that's basically all I could find on her. There's not a lot of information about Latvian gods, I bet Baltic not in gods English. in general. Yeah. I just got to learn Latvian. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting how they separate the souls and the bodies mm-hmm. of the deceased. Yeah. Definitely. I feel, like, I, I feel like usually it's more like the bodies remain, but then the souls go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was trying to figure out what they meant by she took the bodies. Um, because, like, I guess... You know, the bodies are in the graveyards, and so I'm wondering if, like, there's the idea that once they're buried, she takes, the physically moves the bodies somewhere, or if the bodies are, um, take, or she, like, sort of spiritually, like, watches over the bodies and protects them from disturbance and stuff, like grave, ro- mm. grave robbers or whatever. Um, I just couldn't find any information on that. If there are any Latvian people listening, please let us know. Yeah. Uh, if you know more <laughs> about this, because... I want to know. I'm very curious. Um, I think Latvian mythology sounds really cool, and I want to know more about it. Yeah, Baltic mythology in general, I feel like I don't know very much about it, but it seems very cool. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the last woman we're going to talk about today is Hel from Norse mythology. So in Norse mythology, sort of similar to the Maori mythology I was talking about, there were nine realms... The most notable one for today is Hell, the realm of those who died in illness or old age. So similar to Maori mythology, if you died of a natural death, you would go to Hell. And if you died from battle, you would either go to Valhalla, which is a hall in Asgard where the main gods lived, or you would go to Folkvanger, which was ruled by Freya. And it would be that Half of people who die in battle go to Valhalla, while the other half go to Folkvanger. So, Hell is the place, the underworld is called Hell, but it's also the name of the goddess who rules Hell. So, she's the daughter of Loki and the giantess Angerbotha. She's presented as being greedy, harsh, and cruel, and indifferent to the concerns of of the living and the dead. So in surviving Norse literature, she's mentioned for the most part only in passing and therefore her personality isn't like as as fleshed out as some of Mm -hmm. the other gods. But 
The most well-known surviving myth in which she appears is the death of Balder. Do you know that one? Yes, but yeah, tell it's me pretty. That. It's pretty well-known, I feel like, out of the Norse myths. Mm-hmm. So basically, the god Balder is killed by Loki. The gods then send an emissary to, down to plead with Hel, who tells him that she will only release Balder if every last thing in the universe wept for him. So the gods went around asking every being in the universe to weep for Balder, and only one giantess, who was probably Loki in disguise, refused mm-hmm. to, and so Balder wasn't released from hell. Yeah. So, because of how sparsely defined her character is, many scholars view Hel as more of a literary personification of death, rather than a goddess who was actually worshipped or appeased in her own right, but there is little evidence either way. And a fun fact about Hell that I found fun was that in January 2017, the Icelandic Naming Committee ruled that parents could not name their child Hell on the grounds that the name would cause the child significant distress and trouble as it grows up. (laughs) That's funny. I think it's fun because in Iceland, there is this committee that tells you what you're allowed to name your child (laughs) and you're not allowed to name other names. Yeah, I'm fascinated by that. I looked, my name is on there, so, like, I'm is allowed really? to have my name in it. Yes, I looked it up when I was, like, I when I took my class on Icelandic sagas, um, and I was, like, what names are allowed and what names aren't allowed? And I looked up a bunch of my names and my friends' names, and I was, like, okay, your name's allowed, your name's not allowed, this name similar to your name is allowed. That's yeah. amazing. I find that really mm-hmm. fun about Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you can't anger child hell, which mm. is logical i think yeah i think that makes sense that makes me wonder if there were like a lot of people trying to do it though which like i feel like probably wouldn't be the i mean case, 2017 but... it kind of implies that people did do it beforehand doesn't it i suppose so only maybe three some years like ago. edgy like neo-pagan <laughs> i don't know but, yeah i think she's really fun i yeah, think it's too bad that she's not super developed but she's very cool yeah. for sure I think that the story of uh, Baldur's death is interesting because I think she does show like some sympathy, but I think it's also sort of like um, meant to be developing Baldur and it's like he was so wonderful and so loved that even Hell showed sympathy for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And every being in the universe wept for him. Yeah. Except for Loki. Yeah. Um, So an interesting thing I found when I was looking at Persephone is that she's at least partially syncretized with the nymph Milanoi, who is said to bring nightmares and madness to mortals. And so, in some stories, she's the daughter of Persephone and a being that is both Zeus and Hades in an Orphic dual god role. And she appears as half black and half white to represent the heavenly Zeus versus the underworld Hades uh, duality, which, like, is not great, but... Um, Actually, Hell is said to be the same. I just I just didn't mention it because I wasn't super sure. Yes, exactly. So that was yeah, that was (laughs) because there's also one that says she's half white and half blue. So yeah, so the things I've read about Hell is generally that she's like half something and half another. Some I've read that she's half skeleton and half corpse. Mm. Um, in general, like just the half and half thing, I thought was interesting. Her duality. Um, yeah, her duality and uh, the range she has. And um, this. She's very complex. This, yeah, similar to Milanoi, who is 
also half and half. And I just thought it was interesting mm-hmm. um, that they ha- both had these super scary uh, go- minor goddesses that were, like, depicted in that way. And also, it represents Persephone's dual nature, I believe, as both a spring goddess and a goddess of death. To be, like, half the heavenly Zeus, who is her father, and half the underworld Hades, who is her husband. Um, so I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I when I researched that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of like Hell. Yeah. Hell is very cool. I really like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was, like, doing research and looking up general talking points... I looked at the Wikipedia page for death deities in general, the list of death deities, and I sort of, like, read through it and looked for common themes. And one thing that the Wikipedia page said is that death deities can be good, evil, or simply doing their jobs, which is less dualistic than modern Christian-influenced beliefs, which is that all death deities are automatically evil, which Mm -hmm. I think is interesting because it reflects a change in society's ideas about death. For sure. Um, and, and also it said that there was an equal chance of the gods being male versus being female and death was not considered a gender domain the way that other domains were considered more gendered. For example, like harvest is generally like a goddess's domain and like storms are generally a god's domain, though that's not always the case, but that's like the overall theme we see. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think it's interesting when there's a female goddess of death or of the underworld. Mm-hmm. Like, in the story of Inanna, I thought it was fun how Ereshkigal yeah. was the goddess and how she sort of did that whole trick with with Inanna and mm-hmm. forced her to... She had to remove all her power symbols. And that was very much, like, a well-matched fight, even though Inanna eventually, like... And Inanna didn't even, like, really win... I think, because she didn't really get the underworld. No. She didn't get a chance to rule it. She just got out, which was still huge because no For one sure. like ever gets out of the underworld. At least it seems. And she had to go through a lot of Sumer. stuff to get out of the underworld. Yeah, like she died and then she had to sacrifice her husband, which she didn't seem to mind at the time. But eventually it seems like she was upset about that later. Um, so... Yeah, it's very much like a match between two very powerful uh, f- female figures. Which is very nice. Yeah. I also think it represents how death is a universal thing. Definitely. And so, like, how women and men in equal amounts die. And, like, of course, death, like, there's a lot of, of in society, there are a lot of social forces that make more people, like, struggle more. And then, of course, suffer more and die at earlier ages. So, of course, death is not truly equal, but ultimately all humans... I think their idea is that, like, in these mythologies is that all humans do die, and so there is, like, some aspect of equalizing in death. Yeah, which makes me think about how in both Maori and Norse mythologies, there is a separate domain for warriors who die in battle. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. Definitely. Like, uh, warriors just had a whole separate place in their worlds, I suppose, such so that they don't even go to the same heaven or hell as their loved ones. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a, it was like the only nice place was where the warriors go. It does, it does seem like it, yeah. You either go to hell or you go to Valhalla or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or and, you get eaten um, by Miru. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I did notice, though, is gender roles still seem kind of present in some goddesses' duties. So, for example, Meek Takasiwadl's um, job is to gather the bones of the dead and order them for other gods, which seems like a bit like a feminized trait, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, like, I see what you, know, you like mean. Gathering and organizing. I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching a bit here. Um, and then, like, taking care of the bodies and not the souls. Like, the souls is, like, the humanity part. And, like, the rest is just the bodies. But also, I feel like maybe I just don't know enough about, like, the culture behind that aspect of mythology. Um, and maybe the bodies were as venerated as the souls. So maybe I'm making a false equivalency. But... I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting, like, because the body is obviously the more visible aspect. Like, you would mm-hmm. bury your dead, and then you would be like, okay, they go to, who was it, Mara now? Yeah. The bodies go to Mara, and the souls go to Dias. And then another thing I found really interesting, which I was basically talking about this whole time, but the appearances of women and how they're depicted. Yeah. And I thought, so, like, the main themes I saw were, like, old crones. Um, there are a few young women, like Persephone, and then skeletons, decayed dead bodies, or other, like, frightening, monstrous beings. Yeah, and do you think that, that I'm just, like, wondering, do you think that, like, that's more about women, or do you think that the male deities of the underworld, that also applies to them? Because, like, maybe they're also supposed to be scary sometimes, but not other times? Um, so for the case of the Aztecs, I do know that Mictlan um, Tecotl was also depicted as, like, a skeleton being with, like, blood spatters and stuff. Um, so I think it was more equal in, like, that respect. For the others, I don't know. Yeah, obviously Maui was ugly, um, but then he switched his face with his wives. So. And he was much more powerful than Rohe in in the mm-hmm. end. Yeah. So So regardless of him being ugly, he was still, you know, Maui. Whereas Rohe yeah. was just like she just goes to the underworld because she's so ashamed and just eats mm-hmm. men's souls forever. Yeah. Exactly. I mean like Odin isn't exactly like attractive, I guess. I mean but it's less like of a focus about his thing about his like um the focus of his character. He's more about like, you know, wisdom and all seeing being the all father than like since he's not the god of like beauty or handsomeness. But Freya, of course, is very beautiful. And it's definitely and true like- that female figures in mythology are much more beautiful and less allowed to be ugly. Yeah. As we were mentioning so- before. Yeah, and so that's why I do think it's fun when, like, the female figures are allowed to be, like, literally a flayed body with a giant gaping mouth. Yeah, she seemed awesome. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's just not very many stories about her compared to her husband, but I think she seems really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also, um, I was feeling, we didn't really talk about Freya, who is the goddess of Folkvanger, um, but I feel like she is sort of like Persephone in a way. 
because she's just associated with like beauty and springtime but also she holds she's like the ruler of one of the underworld like the places you go after death yeah and i mean i hope that we can do another episode on freya i think she's very nice also miru miru i love i only just touched on her but i think she's super fascinating yeah we can definitely talk more about her future episode um, um yeah. yeah and Hina Nuitopo is also very cool mm-hmm. like yeah. I think it's fun that she has an origin story even though her origin story is depressing mm-hmm. and I mean I don't know why Hina Nuitopo is sort of punished but Tane who actually knew what he was doing just gets to you know live his life but yeah but anyway but it seems like she came like became like more powerful because of it though yeah for sure like didn't wasn't there like a quote about like the The sun conquers all except Tinebo who cannot be conquered exactly yeah so uh, even though that was like that is pretty cool yeah I think it's fun and I like how she has this dual thing where she's either the person who like the person who like terrorizes the human soul after they die or the person who defends the human soul from mm-hmm. fear or the, the personification of evil. Yeah. That was actually something I noticed was that a lot of the goddesses had dual aspects. For sure. So, for example, um, we have that example there. We also, there's uh, Persephone, who is, of course, the goddess of both springtime and rebirth and also the queen of the underworld. And Mara, who is kind of the goddess of both life and death, since she's, like, the main female goddess of the Latvian pantheon. Um, And then there were a few other goddesses that I saw, like, you know, when I was just scrolling through the list of god-death deities uh, that were gods of both life and death, which I thought was really interesting. And then a lot of them are in part of a duality with another god, who's often a man and often their husband. So again, a good example there is Mara, who is the, who is in a duality with Dievs, who is the male's supreme god. And he's more of the god of life and she's more the goddess of death. Um, and they're like ruling together. Mm-hmm. And then of course, uh, Persephone and Meek Takasiwadal, who are the queens of the underworld, ruling alongside their husbands. Yeah, it's interesting how in Maori myth, uh, the women are sort of in contrast with with men. Hine Nuitopo rules. She flies to the underworld after being so ashamed of bearing her father children and marrying him. Rohe is ashamed of swapping her face with her husband Maui, and Miru mm-hmm. just eats men. Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's really fun. A lot of really cool ladies. For sure. A lot of really interesting concepts of the underworld. Mm-hmm. The underworld yeah. is definitely super fascinating because it's a concept yeah. that's across mythologies pretty universally. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And yet each, each religion, each culture has their own distinct like view of the underworld. Yeah. And they're all like so unique too. Like the Maori idea that like you get eaten by this goddess in an oven in yeah, after I love death. That. <laughs> like, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm, like, wrong, because obviously I don't know 
I'm not an expert on every single mythology around the world, but I feel like there's no story that's like exactly like that anywhere else in the world. Yeah, not that I've seen personally. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah, she has her whole oven in which the dead were cooked and whom she and her children ate. Yeah, and we didn't even touch on Egyptian afterlife at all because that's a pretty male-dominated area. Is it? Um, Yeah, because it's like Osiris and Anubis are the main figures, even though there's like Amut who eats the hearts, but she's just chilling. But yeah, that's also an incredibly complex um, afterlife system, which is really cool. Love that. Yeah. Love when it's not super straightforward. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was our first themed episode. Uh, We plan to do many more in the coming months, but in the meantime, please subscribe, follow us, and it would be very helpful if you would leave a review also. Yeah. So thank you for listening, and see you soon. Mytholadies podcast is produced, researched, and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kettinger. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mytholadies and visit us on our website at mytholadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>